Hello, welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name is Stephen Walsh. Coming up in the show, we've got the first part of a conversation between Tim Bird and Simon Morton, two creators who have published books through Avery Hill and share a particular focus in their work on landscape and space. In this first part, they focus on their process and approach to their work and talk about the similarities and differences in their practice. The Big Avery Hill News this month is an exclusive offer on our September releases in our web store, where you can get a copy of Retrograde Orbit by Christina Bashinsky, Follow Me In by Katrina Chapman, and Honor Sunbeam by Tilly Walden, all for the special price of £50. All three books will also include unique signed book plates from the creators, and for full details of the offer, go to averyhillpublishing.com. This month's store spotlight is on OK Comics, a lovely shop right in the heart of Leeds. As well as a wonderful selection of books and comics, they host a monthly drink and draw in a nearby pub. They offer a loyalty card scheme where you can earn free graphic novels. And they also have a free lending library where you can borrow a book for two weeks, read it, bring it back and then borrow another. Their website is okcomics.co.uk and you can find all the latest news on them at okcomics on Twitter. We've also got some information on another comics podcast you might enjoy. Oh, we've had an email asking if we wanted to do an advert for the Avery Hill podcast. Oh, that's nice of them. Does that mean we can't swear? Yeah, pretty much. So, no words like or and definitely no. Oh, I gave real comics. Yeah, they're nice. Oh. We're the Awesome Comics Pod. You can find us at awesomecomics.podbean.com or on iTunes and as the Awesome Comics Podcast and buy a copy of our Awesome Comics Anthology at www.awesomecomicpod.bigcartel.com Oh, that was very professional, wasn't it? I knew that would go all right. Oh, Jesus. And now I'll hand things over to Tim and Simon. We join them in a casual conversation before they formally introduce themselves and the first voice you'll hear is Tim's. We just went camping this weekend in in Dorset, actually. I saw some photos in, I think it was Instagram, maybe. Oh, like yeah. You, some Holloways. I used a black and white filter, so. <laughs> you know, definitely doing something special if we're using a black and yeah, white yeah. filter. It's one of the only times I've, uh, I've gone full black and white. If you go near this place, um, Hell's Lane, I mean, it's not in Devon. It's worth a detour. It's in North Chiddock, between North Chiddock and Simmonsbury. It's really ancient path and it's so it's like almost being carved into the into the ground it's like really low down below the level of the fields and below the level of the trees that line the fields so you get tree roots kind of growing over the path there's, there's a thing called a was it like a devon hedge or a devon something rather which is a particular way of laying the edges of what are hollowets basically so yeah sort of the, the, the mound, it's sort of like, it's not quite like a hedge, it's like a mound, and they sort of mound things up on the side so um, that they, I can't really explain it, but it's, it's a bit, very particular kind of way of making a path, so that which kind of always appeals to me, obviously. Oh, it's interesting that like, different regions have different like, methods of laying out land, because I grew up in Yorkshire, and it's, you know, famous for its dry stone walls. Ah, oh, yes. Well, should we, like... You know, start like talking in a, like an official way or something. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we can just kind of talk about this for hours, which I think might be really interesting anyway. <laughs> but maybe yeah. put it in a part of the podcast. That's true. Yeah. Hi, Simon. Hi, Tim. Yeah. Thanks for sending over your uh, new work in progress, minor leagues. No worries. It's looking really good. I think you found a a really interesting way of um, kind of combining your your comics 
and prose and poetry and stuff and it's it's working really well yeah it's an experiment all those things really i guess yeah. so for people who don't who don't know minor leagues is um an ongoing zine that i've been doing since 2016 maybe a couple of issues every year yeah. and it kind of explores the usual stuff that i do which is like memory and autobiographical stuff and memoir but it's kind of more towards mixing comics and illustration and drawing and yeah. writing and poetry and prose and all those kinds of different things and the new issue which i sent which i sent you is the first part of a maybe three-part epic yeah. <laughs> shall we say which is um which is yeah a big new book which i think speaks to your interests as well which is a kind of historical geographical autobiographical exploration of one of the places where i grew up yeah it's very focused on a one particular location the hills chiddock hills it's clee hills the clee hills are two or three depending on who you speak to big hills in shropshire in the welsh borders so kind of smack bang in the middle of the welsh borders they're kind of part of the marches, which was the historical border between Wales and, and England. And these big hills kind of were sort of formed by a weird quirk of igneous rock coming up in the middle. So they're quite pronounced. There's not that much high land around them. There's, there's Brown Clee, Titterston Clee, Clee mm. Hill. And then I think they are only second and third to the Reekin, which is another big hill, but that's formed differently in structure. So they're like big landmarks but they're kind of sort of a bit weird because they're sort of in the middle of nowhere yeah i like that you're like really specific about the geography of it and like how the hills formed and things that's your background is in geography isn't it that's right so Mm. i have i studied geography at university for oh my god how many years three four eight or nine years oh wow i have a phd in geography as well Ah. which not many people know (laughs) but so the stuff that I specialise in is kind of um, political economy, but it's basically more about like how power and economy and ideas move around in the world, particularly I look at the creative sector. But when you do geography, a huge part of geography, like at its half, is about our human geography, is about mm. place and space and society and how all these different things give rise to like meaning on the land and meaning in cities and towns and countryside and everything from identity politics through to like um thinking about questions of our national identity and nature and what we understand by that term geography covers a whole range of stuff and history as well so i've always kind of been really interested in all that other stuff even though my professional work at university doesn't deal with that stuff this particular um project is really allowing me to kind of scratch that itch because i thought geography was just like coloring in and stuff See, I'm bringing it back to colouring in, except yeah. I have black and white, so yeah. I guess I'm a shit geographer. But um, yeah, so it's kind of, it's really reconnecting with those things, because I think that, you know, much like, like a lot of your work, and your recent work as well, is mm. it, particularly for the Great North Wood, it's about how we make sense of and understand where we are. Yeah, because I'm kind of really interested in sort of how folk tales and old stories develop and specifically in woodlands where people kind of write stories to make sense of their surroundings so it's a way of almost like navigating through the woods you 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 Mm -hmm. tell stories because the woods are sort of scary places but you you really want to find your way through if you know you're a a hunter or something so then you 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 develop these kind of stories of monsters living in the woods to kind of 
to to sort of manage with it and and you know to explain this landscape that you might maybe don't understand so it's the ideas of kind of light shining through the leaves and creating patterns and strange sounds and things in the woods become kind of monsters that live there and so these kind of folk tales develop quite naturally and in in all different sorts of cultures and things you get quite similar folk tales often set in wood so I, I, with my comic I was thinking how maybe that could transfer to a, a modern urban environment the idea that maybe these kind of folkloric uh, creatures still exist within South London's roads and, and train stations and things yeah absolutely and I think that what's really nice about very like your kind of the way the comic kind of marries that kind of sense of past and present because I think we very often I always think that it's quite easy to look at a period of history and kind of like fetishize it a little bit. Um, But what's really nice about the way that the past and present and kind of is invoked in your book is that the sense that, well, it's all kind of overlapping anyway, and that actually those kind of memories of the past are still present in things like place names, you know, as well as being, you know, know, in the Sydney Woods, they're still present in some ways. Yeah, and there are still kind of trees dotted around here and there that would once have been part of a forest and stuff but now they're they're just on roundabouts in the middle of a like, housing estate and things like that but yeah I think you're right there's a real danger to kind of romanticize the past and and kind of be nostalgic for something that didn't really exist yeah and so this you know it's all it's all a, a continual thing like it's not there wasn't a past that was good and we've not um, we don't need to hark back to those distant times. It is just the, the place is the place, and it's it's not really to do with people. And I, I think there's a danger of people thinking the past is this great place that we yeah. need to try and recreate. But I I try and keep those, those kind of political ideas out of my comics a bit, and, and I just want the, the sort of landscape to speak for itself. I think because I think what I, what I was thinking as I was reading it is that you kind of. There is a sense of like the way in which you talk about, you know, the woodland is cut back over time, the way in which industrialization and, you know, capitalism like chops up bits of land and gives it to other people and stuff like that. But you don't kind of, like you say, you don't draw attention to it in a kind of judgmental way. You sort of have this sense that like there is an evolution that is affected by people. But, but again, yeah, which is quite a nice way of doing it. It kind of alludes to stuff, but you don't sort of have to be explicit about it. Yeah is really nice and I think that's something that comics does particularly well because the visual and the text can kind of like create those sort of like is and again like it's easy to judge now for example the felling of the woods to build all of the boats in the London boatyards but then mm. you know yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it's a natural resource that was that was required at that time in a particular way you know so I've been thinking about this a lot in, in relation to my own the book that I'm doing so the thing about Titterston Clee particularly, which is the sort of main focus of the book. So I lived in a little village at the end of the 80s and early 90s at the foot of that uh, that hill. But Titterston Clee has at its summit a really big Iron Age hill fort. It's about 4,000 years old, I think, which is unusual because it has dry stone walling embankments, which you can still see particularly from aerial photographs, like this sort of great big like ring of rocks, which I only found out relatively recently. So growing up there and going and playing on the hill, of these rocks and then in sort of in the middle of that there's all of these air traffic control radars there's a radar station there which is where my dad worked so we lived there because my dad was a radar engineer 
So there's that. And then the hill itself has been extensively mined for coal because it has one of the highest by altitude coal seams in the country by, by virtue of its weird geology. It's had lime production, all this stuff going back to at least the 10th, or, no, sorry, the 11th or 12th century. Um, and then there's been farming, it's been common land, it's been grazed, there's been all sorts of different things. Magic mushrooms grow there a lot, so there's a kind of oh, a yeah. particular population who descend at certain times of the year as well. Yeah. So it's, it's so, had this this kind of history of of use and reuse and change by the people who have occupied that that site. And that was really interesting to me because, like, even you know, as kind of modernity kicks in and the mining and the quarrying things change and they come and go. Like there was a big railway for a while, then that went away. And so my, my dad worked on the radar station and was, he was on call sometimes 24 hours a day. There's a big team of a dozen people who manned it all day, yeah. every day. But by the time he, he had retired, his job had been, he'd sort of moved into Mantle and his job was to help kind of de-staff those radar stations because they were automated by the end. Yeah. So you have all of these histories of change and technology going right the way across this like big hill which is pretty amazing because it's still incredibly wild just finished writing a passage which i can't remember was in the version that i sent you which is all about how the weather on top of plea hill is just unique it has no bearing on what's happening anywhere else in the county at any given point so yeah all those questions about history and use and ownership and stuff really interest me as well and what's interesting about your work I guess is that you put yourself in the landscape so it it becomes autobiographical whereas Mm. I I feel like I try and take myself out of it a bit. It's kind of a weird one I mean I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about whether you removing yourself is a kind of a a conscious decision or just something that kind of comes out when you're when you're sort of writing and drawing you just suddenly go actually I don't need to be in this or? I always want to just not have any people at all which is sort of (laughs) why I made the character a fox. Ideally I would just draw lots of pictures of landscapes and then just leave it at that. I always feel like I need something to kind of create a narrative. I, I always find it a bit difficult writing autobiographically to to decide like what to put in and what not to put in because you're you're still creating a story, really. So there's this, these ideas like, how do you make it authentic if you're writing about yourself? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I mean, all my work has, has been autobiographical, I guess, on my comic stuff. But as I've kind of, I mean, I've been doing it for like, what, uh, since 2007? So like 11 years now. But as I've kind of developed, I've sort of moved away from, and I've never really been that interested in sort of being one of those autobiographical artists or here's me and then I went and got a coffee and then I sat down and yeah. you know kind of almost diaristic stuff although I like reading some of that stuff I, yeah, it's I've, not... got, I've got quite a soft spot for, for diary comics but um I tried to keep one for a while and it, it did it felt like I was just creating situations just to make a comic out of them <laughs> exactly and no, I like I like diary comics too definitely and they're some of the first comics I, I kind of came across when I started making stuff but yeah some reason when I try and do them if you like and just and I did try for a little while in about about 10 years ago I tried and I just it just feels I think because I'm really interested in like the patchwork effect of things a lot of my work will you know to a minor leagues will jump backwards and forwards in time mm. you know like you know here's a story about a teenage thing that happened here's something about the other day here's like a moment that happened on the way to work and then here's like a general you know thing about a broader time scale and and, and that patchwork of it gives me that thing about making sense of, you know, where we are in the world, I think. And, and for that, I don't see that as an objectivist 
thing that I can do by telling people explicitly about my day, unless the act of telling somebody explicitly about my day has, has some meaning or some kind of resonance beyond that stuff. Plus, there's a lot of, you know, white straight boys out there doing, or has historically been a lot of white straight boys out there doing that stuff, and I don't really want to kind of contribute <laughs> more to yeah, that yeah. corpus of work if I can. Yeah, I feel that with that about that as well a lot with the sort of landscape writing it's a similar group of people doing it yeah i wanted to ask you about that in terms of what kind of stuff you had you had been reading or what kind of things you were interested in in relation to great northwood and other stuff you've been doing a lot of my interest in that kind of thing comes from uh, from films really i used to watch I was really into like the sort of old um, like documentary films, almost like public information films, like the British Transport thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. they're really great. And then I used to go and watch um, like these films at the at the at the BFI, you know, the cinema in London on the South Bank. Mm-hmm. They had this this room called the Media Tech, where you just sit at a computer and watch their archive films, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of old documentaries. And then that kind of introduced me to um, this film called Finisterre, which was made by people from Saint Etienne, who were one of my favourite bands. And that's all about London. It's like a day in the life of London. So from kind of it waking up and commuters coming into Victoria Station all the way through to like the nightlife at the end of the day. And it's that kind of documentary film, but not a sort of a poetic documentary. There's probably a word for it, but I'm not sure. It's not exactly about facts, if you know what I mean. It's about sort of the feeling of a place. Yeah, that's how I got into it, really. And then started reading all these beardy white men, like Ian Sinclair and, and um, Will Self. And I don't think either of those have beards, but those kind of people... Yeah, I just thought I wanted to try and do comics along a similar line. Because, it's, yeah, it's just what I'm interested in, really. So I'd kind of, I'd been particularly, when I was doing comics, I was particularly interested in, or came across John Porcelino's work very on, very yeah. early on. He does a comic called King Cat, which he's been doing for about 30 years now, which is kind of autobiographical, but very much about the moment, the act of thinking about where you are at a given point in time, and all that stuff about sort of time and space and things, but, and, and very much kind of a memoir thing. And he also is very minimal in the way he draws, which had been a big influence on me as well in terms of when I went through a drawing transition where I stopped putting loads of detail into my comics or, or, or and stuff and just started just going, actually, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to scribble and see what happens. But other than that, I had always had this interest, this kind of geographical interest, but I'd never really found a way to get it into my books, into my work in a kind of broader capacity, I guess. So like, I'd look at like Oliver East's work and think, oh, that's amazing. That's really great. You know, yeah, he's... Yeah, yeah places i think we're both a fan of all of us he walks places and documents those things or or retraces historical roots and then documents those in the form of comics and drawings and and lately installations as well yeah and so that other kind of body of work that nature writing that landscape writing i have only relatively recently properly indulged in because i guess some of it I came across in, in certain ways through geography, but being a geographer, you know, some of that psychogeography stuff, it's just like, well, we've been doing that for years in geography, honestly. Yeah, it does so feel a bit like a, it's a, a modern thing for quite a, an old idea. And it, it can, and I think those, so I've never read, well, I think I've read one thing by Ian Sinclair, but I have to say I It's hard work, it. it is hard work. His, his style of writing is difficult. So, I mean, one of the big things, actually, the big 
things that really turned me onto this stuff was Rings of Saturn by W.G. Sabalt. I don't know if you've read that one. I haven't read it, but I did notice um, Robert McFarlane is doing like a a Twitter book club where they're going to read it. Yes. So I read. Yes, I read. Um, I read. Yeah, I was looking at that this morning actually. But um, oh. but yeah. So the book is essentially arguably kind of against Sabalt. He was a German. Um, he died in 2001, I think, in a car crash, but he was a sort of German academic. He'd been teaching East Anglia for many years, and he walks across East Anglia, and he documents his walk, and then writes about all the different threads of history, from like herring, hist- the history of herring fishing through to the atrocities of the Second World War via the boom in silkworm industries, and weaves together this like really kind of bewildering thing and he's famous for like long sentences and stuff like apparently mm. i'm reading another one of his books at the moment apparently one of his sentences goes over like seven pages but yeah. it's really amazing it's a bit challenging but i really like that and it's my friend as who who kind of said you should read this and then i did and and that kind of blew me away but every time i came to any other kind of landscape writing like particularly mcfarland stuff like not mcfarland stuff um what's his name oh, Things like that's right. Because I saw him on a panel with a couple of other people and thing in Bristol, and somebody kind of asked him about. And this has always been my problem with like with with walking writing is that it it can be a very privileged pursuit. Obviously, the flaneur was was a privileged person in the beginning, yeah. and so somebody asked him like, "Well, you know, you're complaining here about how you can't do night walks anymore because things have become urbanised in spaces, and you can't have access because of private land and all that." And that's true. But what about those people amongst us who have never been able to do night walks? Women, people of colour, you know, other yeah. kinds of groups who are marginalised, otherwise threatened in public and private space. And he just couldn't really answer it. And I've always found that that turned me off from the beginning because it's not so much that we write this stuff from our point of view and we go and do it, but there wasn't much of a reflection of how his identity as he put himself in the landscape was somehow problematic so that was so i've kind of avoided a lot of nature writing because again like you know and, and actually that's something that i'm that question about nostalgia is something i'm really interested in as well because the reason i'm writing this book is because my dad died last year very suddenly after a short bout of cancer and so i am kind of cognitively emotionally going back to a particular period in our family history when we were really happy which is when we were living there so i'm kind of really struggling and deliberately so with questions of like grief and nostalgia um and trying really to put myself in the landscape also open myself up a little bit so that it's not so i'm not kind of replicating those power things and i'm not kind of just doing that stuff and it's um an interesting challenge (laughs) to kind of like write a book and then and then also have in the book challenging the whole rationale of even writing a book in the first place. And I wanted to ask you a little bit as well about like, like how you research the comics and how you, you kind of, how much, yeah, it goes on behind the scenes before you get to the page. Because obviously, actually, it's quite, it's really like imaginative and illusory, you know, like your your pictures kind of allude to things and, and the text and this kind of stuff. But then there's also like some quite established histories and knowledge underneath all of that as well. Yeah, I, I really enjoy doing the research for for comics i think it's probably my favorite part of the process really just kind of really throwing myself into reading a lot of kind of local history quite a few books and things about the area i read and it sort of it was kind of important for me to get it factually right like if i if i was talking about a specific location i kind of wanted it to be not wrong maybe rather than getting right i don't want someone who knows a lot about the area to read it and just be like no, that didn't. That didn't happen here. The not wrongness is something I'm. I'm also 
definitely mm. thinking about at the moment. <laughs> I don't. I don't particularly mind if my drawings don't look like exactly the the area it it represents. But I do kind. I do sort of want people to be be able to recognise, get the sense of that place from their drawings and things. And there's something universalising as well about like drawing and comics and their ability to kind of evoke without having to kind of dictate so like you know like your pages towards the end again with with like sort of the you know the 196 kind of overgrown the bus but it's kind of recognizable as you know and then railway underpass before and panel before I'm looking at it happen and that kind of stuff it's instantly recognizable and very specific to a particular place of which I think a lot of people have a kind of knowledge or a cultural you know image of but at the same time you say it doesn't have to look exactly like a place in order for it to do that work and I think that's really this, that's something I've only just sort of really kind of really realised that you're not, I think, you know, I'm not trying to draw an accurate version of something. I'm just trying to create a drawing of it. And I think that's maybe something you said in the past. I'm not really trying to change my drawing style, but just trying not to worry so much about it, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, both have, we've had conversations in the past about, about the way that we draw and, and, yeah. And I think that if, you know, if those people have been reading my stuff for a while, my book on Avery Hill, which is called Days, collects together issues of my previous autobiographical comic series, which is called Smooth, and it's, I think it's issues four, five, and six, and then some kind of anthology stuff from sort of 2011, 12-ish. And that was a really sort of transitionary time for me in drawing as well, because before that, I had sort of like been drawing these zines and I often talk about it as like drawing comics how I thought you were supposed to draw comics, yeah. but really struggling with that. And then in the kind of stuff collected in that book, it kind of shows this kind of, I kind of worked out at some point. I mean, you know how like you know things, but then you don't really know them. <laughs> like, yeah. I knew that you could draw comics in any way you wanted to, but I didn't know that you actually could <laughs> do that. It's really and interesting so, how you're, you seem to have quite like definite changes in style and I think probably minor leagues has been a big change from smooth as well I don't know I I struggle a bit with just yeah kind of letting go and doing something completely different yeah Yeah, I kind of I sort of for me so I'd I'd sort of stopped doing kind of like sort of more panel-based comics kind of but then picked up a pencil and then instead of a pen and I stopped inking and I started penciling with sort of dark pencils straight onto the page and and all of that was exactly that. It was it was it was a real kind of because I'm I'm a I'm a perfectionist, yeah. although my drawings might not necessarily re- you know reflect that. But it but it was a deliberate thing. It's basically on the one hand, I'd started doing comics when I was doing my PhD and I was unemployed for a while, then I had a job and I only had you know I think a lot of a lot of us have this problem, which is that, you know we always have other duties in life, you know, yeah. be, it, be it parenthood yeah. or jobs, or whatever. And I was spending hours on a single page and it just felt really sterile and really bleh. so there was this time saving like if i've only got a couple of hours a day to work on comics i'm going to draw i'm going to draw faster so i can get more covered yeah. and so there was that and then there was a kind of well because i'm really interested in invoking the feeling of something and i think that this is something that your work does as well you don't you don't need loads of detail or for every hand to have a thumb and four fingers for people to know that it's a hand you know and it's yeah, yeah. you know and i just keep thinking about cave paintings as like these amazing animated immersive comics essentially that, mm. and they're the first one of the first kind of yeah, stories in that way and so I was kind of like ah so I keep trying to simplify it and I've been forcing myself 
ever since to basically get less and less hung up if possible on what I'm drawing. I think that idea of sort of changing the materials you use is a it's quite a good idea for changing your approach to it. I, I tried with one of my comics, uh, Our Town, tried to use a dip pen and ink, mm. um, kind of because I thought that's what proper cartoonists used. Mm. But also once I started using it and, you know, finding it difficult, I just kind of en- enjoyed that difficultness and the fact it smudged a lot. Kind of, yeah, that stopped me being quite so hung up on getting everything really neat because before that I'd done a lot of drawing digitally and it just felt started, yeah I started to feel that it wasn't very rewarding really so yeah, yeah I think I remember sort of talking to you about rock and pop which was your which was your sort of you collect them together but like a series of strips about important songs and pieces yeah. of music to you and that and I seem to remember thinking oh, maybe you even talked about it at the time that that there was kind of more sort of pensely organic approach to that that felt for, for the reader anyway, like there was a kind of bit of experimentation happening there, which is really nice. Because I think maybe that's about the time when we we talked about like, you know, digital and these different right. uh, ways of drawing. So I don't know whether you feel that yourself about that work. Yeah, it was because, yeah, I used a pencil for that. And it was the first time I'd really had a, a finished comic drawn just in pencil without, you know, worrying about inking over the lines and everything. So, yeah, it, that... It, I, I do like pencil as a, a medium me, uh, media because uh, it does feel quite you know you can rub it out so you don't have to worry so much about everything being quite so neat you can yeah it's, it just looks nice I guess I'm a, I'm a big pencil big pencil fan definitely yeah, yeah. Yeah. but like my recent stuff the stuff I'm doing for my lead six over this book which I still haven't got a title for so eventually I'll call it whatever the book's called mm. but I haven't worked out yet I've been like, I got a big pot of black paint. So I've been experimenting with like, there's my first foray into like digital really. So what I'm doing at the moment is sort of like drawing, drawing some line work with a pencil and then kind of putting another piece of paper top of that on the light box and then just getting some black paint and just going splodge. <laughs> yeah, it looks really impressive. And and the, you're incorporating photos into it as well, I guess. That's right, yeah. So then, and then the third step is then scan all those elements in and then put them together. And there's, you know, a little bit of digital manipulation, like, yeah. oh, I might copy in like another splodge of paint if it composition looks a bit weird, or I might, yeah. you know, turn that pencil line white so it shows through the black differently. And then, yeah, so old family photos as well as sort of adding a bit of structure and a bit of elements to that stuff. So it's kind of like digital collage, really. And that's really exciting for me because I've never. I mean, I don't really know how to use Photoshop beyond what I've only ever yeah. had to use Photoshop for, let's say. And so I'm kind of working it out as I go along. And um, But I'm also trying not to get too hung up on it, like that line. But then that said, like I've just done, there's a six-page comic in later on in this, in, in my only six, which I think I'm just going to have to scrap because I've just been like sitting at work like all day, like, you know, sitting in meetings, nodding, but really thinking about this comic and how it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> um, and then I go back and look at it. Oh, no, it's okay. But then, you know, so there's still that gut instinct and there's still that like, you okay. still worry about mm. stuff even if you do stuff quite quickly or quite, um, what's the word? Yeah. Yeah, like instinctively. Yeah. It's definitely that. So my practice is changing and I do kind of, that is a kind of, a, it's both deliberate and accidental. I didn't 
deliberately start doing the collage, as it were, it just sort of something that just emerged by accident. I think there's one, I can't remember which, there's a, there's a picture in the new book, which is sort of like the first one I did, when I sort of went, oh, I, I could just do that, couldn't I? And then with every one that I did, I, I experimented and found a few techniques to kind of make it look all right and make it kind of work. And it's quite fun as well, because it does look quite different. And because I have kind of, I think, kind of done drawing in different ways over the years, and kind of want to sort of incorporate different bits of that in, into this as well. So depending on the story I'm telling, I want to kind of go, okay, so that doesn't need like loads of black paint. That can just be like quite a minimal thing. Or, a, or if that needs to be a photo collage, or if that needs to be, you know, just, just a line on a page, as I've been known to do before. And that yeah. stuff. So yeah, it's really fun. Thanks to Tim and Simon for that. Join us again next month, where the conversation broadens more into the comics industry and scene more generally, and how Tim and Simon see their place within that. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programmes you may enjoy.